Hey guys, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jayla. We would like to welcome you to the Sustaining Life podcast. A lot of people have questions about the situations they face and the struggles that come with them. There are those who think the Bible does not provide modern day solutions to our crazy lives. There are those who think the Bible isn't relevant to this day and age. Anxiety, depression, hurt, bitterness, and suffering. The Bible really does have answers and hope for all of these things. Let's Let's dive dive in. in. Alrighty guys, welcome back to Sustaining Life Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to join with us today. Uh, I have a a guest here, uh, my brother actually, so I'll let him introduce and say whatever he wants to say. Uh, Hello everybody, I'm Christian. I am blessed to be able to join you all again. I'm just excited for what we're talking about tonight, excited to uh, get to the core of salvation and what it really means to be saved, because a lot of people have uh, uh, a skewed view of it, I think. And when we get down to the bottom of it, if you believe the Bible, then you got to know what the Bible says. So uh, if nothing else, we can dig through the Bible and learn from each other. So definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, One of the reasons that, you know, we kind of felt led to do a few of these is because, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of questions and people wondering what is salvation? How do you explain it? How do you communicate it in a way that someone can understand what are some easy or practical or, you know, ways to communicate what the gospel says? We want to make sure we communicate effectively what truth is. We want, we want to have more depth than, be, than being able just to quote a scripture or two. We want to make sure that people can understand it and explain what is the substance of the scripture, not just let me memorize something and follow it because right. this is what it says. So this is it's kind of the motivation for it. We want this to be able to be used as a tool for anyone, whether they're newer to the relationship with God or seasoned, anyone to use to walk through salvation and to be able to communicate that in a way that anyone can understand, layman's terms. But with that being said, you know, I'll I'll pose the first question to you, Christian. Um, If you had to use a statement, one sentence statement, what would you say is salvation? When, When somebody asks you, you know, hey, what is salvation anyway? What would your statement be to that? I would say salvation is knowing God to the extent that all you want to do is please him. Paul said his goal was to know Christ and to know his suffering and to know what he went through. We can look back at the scriptures and see how you received the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost is the beginning of salvation. The ending is knowing Christ. Definitely, definitely. So I guess I'd, there were, there were dead, multiple sentences in there, but uh, I would say salvation is knowing and experiencing Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to start. You know, you mentioned already is, is Christ. Um, and people ask the question, what is salvation? What do I need to do to be saved? And that's what we want to jump on. Um, so, you know, where, where we're going to start with as far as scriptures go is John chapter three. And the reason we're going to start there is there's this man, his name is Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews, and uh, he knew of this guy named Jesus, this guy walking around doing weird things, quote unquote, weird things, but he was doing miracles. And Nicodemus knew that this man had to be from God. So he asked Jesus, the man himself, how can I be saved? Um, And that's crucial. And if you were looking for to find salvation, I mean, what better place to go than to go to Jesus? The man himself tells you what you need to do to be saved. So uh, we're going to start and read that. And then we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. 
Uh, so bear with us a minute while we read a few scriptures. In John chapter 3, starting with verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same man came by Jesus, or to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're going to pause there at verse 3. And Christian, uh, why don't you elaborate a little bit on, on specifically verse 3 to start out uh, as we start breaking down this passage? Well, we look at it, and obviously with our human minds, we think, well, being born again, what in the world does that mean? How can I be born after I've been born? And it, <laughs> it kind of makes me jump ahead to where Jesus explains what being born again is. But if you look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that he, he that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all the new has come. And that really, to me, speaks volumes. Besides the specific, this is how you do it, it's you are a new creation. Everything that was in you that was greedy, everything that in you what, that was what you wanted, that is all gone. You're born into Christ's family, the family of God. So you not only have God on your side, but you also have all these people that believe with you and are that are in this family that you can lean on for support and they can lean on you. So it's not just this, okay, I've been born again. Now I get to see the kingdom. It's I've been born again. And now you get to see all the benefits of the kingdom before you ever get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, and I, I think it's so important that people realize that kind of what we're born into. Um, because as, as humans, we're born into a world full of sin, you know, full of, you know, fear, full of brokenness and pain and sorrow. And like you already said, greed, selfishness, some of those things. Uh, David himself, he said in Psalm 51, he says, behold, I was shaped in iniquity. I was shaped in a place that our nature is birthed in a place of iniquity. Iniquity meaning a lifestyle of sin. It's, it's a marriage to sin. So that marriage is you're bonded with sin. So your life, our nature, when we're born, we're bonded to this sin. We're, we're made one with sin as we're born. So it's important to realize what we're connected to. And as people, as humans, as flesh, because of the fall of Adam and Eve and the sin of people after Adam and Eve and up until this day, sin is multiplied. That is our yeah. nature. That is what we're creating in is, is a sinful nature and it's bonded. And we need to be born again because we need a new nature. We need a, some to be bonded to something else that's not full of sin. And it goes on to say, yeah. David says, and in sin, my mother conceived me. So he's not just saying, yep. you know, I have a sinful nature, but my mother had a sinful nature and her mother and her father and so on and so forth. Yeah. We are birthed in a place of iniquity where <laughs> we are bonded and married to sin. So it's yeah. really to, to have that. Absolutely. And I would actually go in right along with that. Um, where I was quoting from was 2 Corinthians chapter 17. But if you look at the verse before that, verse 16, I'm just going to read it. So therefore, from now on, I'm reading from the New King James, by the way, not the King James. 
Uh, but it says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know, I, I'm sure most of us on this planet have heard of Jesus Christ in one way, shape, or form, or another. Whether it is a history class or from another uh, religion that incorporates Jesus. But knowing him before you're born again is knowing of him. After you're born again, you begin to know him. You begin to find out just like you would in a marital relationship, what pleases him, what doesn't please him, how you can do things and you'll feel a certain kind of way that it's good and you'll feel the blessing that comes along with it. And then there'll be things that you do where like, okay, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should stay away or maybe I should do something different. But knowing of him before being born again, knowing of him in flesh is not the same as knowing him after you are filled with his spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in, in, in Luke 19, um, chapter 19, uh, it, it states specifically what Jesus' mission was. And his mission was to come to seek and, seek and save those who are lost. He, he came to save each and every single person. Uh, and whoever would come to him, whoever would follow his word, he came to save a lost people. And if we weren't lost, if we weren't full of sin, Jesus would have no reason to come to the earth. And then we're going to go on. In verse 4, it says, Nicodemus, the same man, saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this goes back to what was already stated. Nicodemus is looking with natural eyes. Verse 5, Jesus responds to him and says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So let's pause there again, do a little bit more breakdown. Um, what do you think when you when you hear verse five? What are some things that you would like that you think are important to highlight from that verse if we're communicating to somebody who needs to understand what Jesus is actually saying? Well, I would say obviously being born of the water is is pretty telling that you have to have baptism involved some way. Um, because I don't think anybody on God's green earth would say, well, he says born of water, so that means I can just take a drink of water out of a cup, or I can just, you know, go take a shower or something. There has to be some visible work of being born of the water. Being born of water, if you look at the Greek word baptizo, which is the root of the word baptism, which Jesus also says you must be baptized. The Greek word baptizo means to fully immerse. So when we baptize, we're not just sprinkling a little bit of water on. It is literally putting you down and the blood of Jesus being applied and coming back up a new creature, as we were talking about in Second Corinthians. And then being born of the Spirit, that's literally having the Spirit of God enter into you and live in your heart. It is be, it's, it's having the blessing of having not only a relationship with God, but being filled with the power that Spirit brings. And as we get on into Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we know by the visible evidence how one receives the gift of the Holy Ghost or is born again by the Spirit. And, and just to address both those things, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the water thing is so crucial. You know, a lot of people, you know, wonder why, well, why do we have to do that? Um, I mean, the Bible has a lot of similes. It has a lot of symbolic uh, expressions. 
And yeah, lot, absolutely. You know, like for example, when, when Jesus died on the cross, the blood was shed. And the Bible says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, it's impossible to have remission of sins for all things have to be remitted uh, by blood. But, you know, it's, it's, you kind of think of it in a few different ways where it's kind of shadowed throughout the Bible, because you look at uh, Egypt and Moses and how he led the Israelites out of Egypt, which was it's translated to the house of bondage is what Egypt means out of a place of slavery. And when he walked across when they all walked across the Red Sea, um, you know, the, is, the Egyptians could not follow them through the water because Jesus stopped it. Jesus opened the water for them, the Israelites, and, and he closed the water before the Egyptians could pass. And it's similar in the sense that when we are, when, when Jesus died on the cross and we repent, we go to God, uh, that blood covers the sin because the sin has gotten blotted out. God has remitted the sin unto him and it died in his body, as it said in Ephesians. But with water, it's the same concept. Our sin, before we were baptized, it can't go past that water. It doesn't, it doesn't get up after we get out of baptism. Right. It, can't, it can't live with us. That sin is gone. So it's a symbolic expression that, okay, there's a burying process there's, there's a burying of an old nature and old sins, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be buried, and it's going to be risen again, just like in, in a new, new nature and a new creature, just like Jesus was risen from the dead as a spirit as he ascended to heaven. Um, so, you know, he didn't ascend right when he, obviously, when he rose from the dead, but you get my point. Later on, he rose in yeah. spirit. But this is it's so crucial. And when it says, you know, being born of the spirit, a man can't establish or do anything spiritual in its own right. So the Bible is indicating that something supernatural has to happen, something that cannot be explained in that in the natural. And if we look at our Bibles in verse 5 and verse 6 as well, but verse 5, it says, when it says born of water and of spirit, something to note is spirit is capitalized in I'll explain why in a minute here, but then verse six says that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of, again, it shows that spirit being capitalized and the second spirit not being capitalized. Mm -hmm. Not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The capitalization in these two verses refers to Jesus himself. That is God and spirit is capitalized. So it's literally saying you have to be born of God. So understanding how someone is born of God that's the next step. How does God birth himself in a human? And I think that helps people who have trouble understanding the experience because a lot of people that refer to Galatians, where it talks about the fruits of the spirit, they refer to that as having the Holy ghost, having the nature of God, like loving yeah. kindness, those kind of things. And that's not what, that's not what getting the Holy ghost is expressed as. And I think that helps distinguish the two. Um, but as we those are more benefits of having the spirit, not showing initially that you have received it. Yeah. Well, and to a certain extent, I would even suggest that um, our heart can be uh, it's limited, but it can be it can be changed in different directions as we choose to live a different lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. Our, our mind can be changed based on lifestyle. Our thoughts can be changed based on lifestyle. So it's not as simple as, oh, I feel like I'm going to 
try to be a good person, you can try and be a good person without having the Holy Ghost because you are yep. losing that. That's different from having a supernatural experience that God births himself into your life. So kind of pausing on that, that, that was Jesus's specific instruction of how to be saved. We're going to slide over and go to the book of Acts. And if you want to read the first few verses of Acts chapter one, where it talks about um, the Holy Ghost is going to come and, and John or Jesus talking to the disciples. Um, why don't we start there? And we'll explain why sure. it's important here too. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he threw, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come Together they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now he had spoken these things while they watched. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So there's a lot to unpack in, in what just happened here. And let's, let's just take it one by one. First, uh, context. What, what's the context of, of, these, of these verses here? The context is simply Jesus is speaking to his disciples after he's, been, after he's been raised from the dead, after he's shown them, I've got the scars. I was put to death, but I'm alive in you. And, you know, when he tells them, you've heard from me, uh, John truly baptizes with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now is, again, like you were saying before, another foreshadowing, a very obvious one, but still foreshadowing nonetheless that something supernatural is going to be happening in a few days and it is going to happen to you. And it's not something that is intended to just be kept under wraps. Um, and they say, well, Will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And here's, I think, where a lot of people uh, might not understand to the complete extent is, and even the disciples didn't really realize what was going on until after it happened, mm -hmm. is that Jesus did not come to bring power back to Israel. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't save Israel. He didn't come to save Israel from Roman rule. He didn't come to save Israel from some physical thing. And that's what the that's what all of Israel really was looking for in the coming Savior and Messiah was they were looking for somebody who's going to be a royal king, who's going to have kingly authority, who's going to have this great army and, and, and backing along with him to make Israel powerful again and take over where they were living so they didn't have to be under Roman rule. But no, Jesus already said that he came to seek and to save the lost. 
And so, real again, I don't think they realized it until after it happened because he says it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And then he says you're going to get a different kind of power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. You're going to be witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, but everywhere to the end of the earth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I love how so many things are just kind of communicated and kind of um, ordered throughout the Bible, how they're set up in the Bible, how they're structured. Um, because it, you know, Jesus felt it was so important that he would stay 40 days after he died, 40 days, just instructing about the kingdom, instructing about heaven, instructing about how to live and instructing about the power of God, showing the miracles that the Bible didn't even count, couldn't even count because he did that. Right. And he's communicating to them that the Holy ghost is going to come, but it hasn't come yet. And I think that's important to emphasize because no one in the Old Testament had been filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's Jesus is establishing, okay, you we had a the old Old Testament is simply the old covenant or old agreement between God and man. And as man matured and as different events unfolded and as different things happened that would um, help reconcile man to God again. Jesus is establishing a new covenant or a new agreement with his people of salvation. And this is why we, we, we kind of reference Acts uh, in a lot of ways, because a main thing is with Acts, is that is literally the birth of the new covenant. That's the birth church as we know it today. That is the instruction of what the church was supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. And Acts is the representation of the agreement or covenant that Jesus established with his people. So when we were looking to see what salvation is, that's where we need to look, is, is John chapter 3 to see what Jesus said, and then Acts to show, okay, how did Jesus create or set up the church to live in the modern day? Um, and it also emphasizes, too, in Acts 1.8, it says, you know, you shall receive power once the Holy Ghost is on you to witness. So before that Holy Ghost, we are limited in what we can do. Before the Holy Ghost, we don't have what we need to be godly vessels until we get that holy ghost and he right. says wait until the promise comes so the promise is not yet there to and that i want to emphasize that because there are people who believe that it was there and it's not there yet and it's so crucial to understand how god is setting these up god's doing this and it's it's, it's for a reason um and then we're gonna we're gonna slide down and give some more context so as you said, you know, this was after Jesus was crucified, after the blood was shed, after he was risen from the grave, and his name was exalted above all names. It's above death. He beat death for humanity. But then we slide down to Acts chapter 2, and the context a little bit was uh, these people, these disciples, they gathered together to pray. See, that's another important thing. They didn't know exactly what the promise was going to be. They knew it was the Holy Ghost, but they didn't realize right. That into what, how the Holy Ghost would appear. They didn't know that. So when they didn't have an answer from God, they prayed to God. <laughs> they waited and they said, okay, Jesus, what do we do? We're going to wait for you. We're going to praise you. We're going to thank you, but we're going to come together as a people and say, okay, we're going to pray for an answer to come. And that's significant because you don't see all these people going off and creating a different, bunch of different religions or theologies. Right. And they didn't decide in their logical minds this is what makes sense to believe. They went to God himself and they prayed together as one to find the answer. 
God wanted his people to be together when they sought after Jesus. So it says in the upper room that they gathered together in one accord and one mind. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So just a couple of things to pause there. The first thing is, this is the first expression or sign or evidence, if you would call it, of a sign when somebody receives the Holy Ghost in the Bible. This is the first time right here. And it says, they began to speak with tongues. That was the initial sign. That was what was prophesied. That's what it is. And then it says, again, that spirit in verse 4, it's capitalized, meaning as God gave them utterance. So do you have any comments on those first four verses of Acts chapter 2? I think uh, an important part to just realize is that they were all there for the same reason. They were all, the Bible says that they were all with one accord in one place. It means they had, they were there with the intention of something happening. And they were going to be there until something happened. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then we go on to read. And verse five, it says they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled and saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. We're going to skip some of those locations because it's they're important, but um, we're going to skip them for now. You can read them. I, I encourage you to read them. Yep. Lovely, wonderful words to read. <laughs> and uh, in verse 11, it says, Treaties and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues of wonderful works of God. So pause there. When they were praying and they're speaking in tongues, they're testifying. They're thanking God. They're praising God. They're talking about his miracles, adoration to God. So there's praise involved, verbal expression of praise. In verse 12, it says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They got them drunk is what happened. Mm -hmm. So we go on, and I, we're not going to get into all of it because there's a lot there, but I, I encourage you all to read the rest of the chapter. Because the rest of the chapter is Peter's sermon that emphasized and essentially testified of what Jesus was doing. And, what, and this is the first sermon that gives instruction on salvation. So, Christian, can you read chapter or verse 14 all the way up until um, 21? Sure. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us at Sustaining Life Podcast today. We pray that this time has blessed you. Be sure to check the show notes. It will tell you how to contact us. Whether you want prayer or you want to share something exciting with us or you just want to connect, check it out. We'll love for you to follow us at Sustaining Life Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Join us throughout the week for more Sustaining Life.